Welcome to the GC On Demand podcast, a show about people, about process, about technology, about community. It's great conversations with great technologists about things that matter to you, that matter to all of us. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to visit gcondemand.io for all of the show notes. And with that, let's get started. All right, well, welcome everybody to the GC On Demand podcast. This is the GC On Demand on the road this time. I'm actually at the start of the OpenStack Silicon Valley events, uh, heading out to Mountain View. And it's kind of topical. Uh, while you're going to hear this after the event's completed, uh, I, I did want to bring some attention to somebody who's been a powerful supporter you know, of the OpenStack community, of open source in general, and just an all-around uh, cool person to hang out with. I was lucky enough to catch up with him uh, in Paris for a beer, which I owe him a beer as a result. Uh, but anyways, with that, I would like to welcome Mark Collier to the show. Uh, Mark, do you want to introduce yourself and tell us sure. where we can find you online and such? Yeah, no problem. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's Mark Collier. I'm the COO of the OpenStack Foundation, and prior to that, was one of the folks that got OpenStack started from uh, from within Rackspace when we kind of partnered up with, with some people over at NASA and, and others in the industry to get OpenStack started. It's been a, a little over six years now, and uh, I'm at Sparky Collier on Twitter or mark at openstack.org if you want to drop me an email. And I think that's one of the really cool things is that you've had obviously such a storied history with the, the OpenStack ecosystem, literally, you know, kind of part of the, the founding the founding group, and I wanted to start before we get into OpenStack in general. You know what? What led you to being a part of it? It's it's always the interesting story when we get the personal side of how people got involved with open source. Sure. Well, my background um, for several years before I came to Rackspace was in was in biz dev, so doing partnerships and building ecosystems. Um, I worked for. Uh, music Match, which was a small music private uh, company that got acquired by Yahoo and, and then worked for Yahoo Music and several of the other Yahoo properties back in the uh, the heyday, I guess. Um, and, you know, that that really, I learned a lot during that time about kind of how to identify opportunities where you know, two or three companies can come together and create more value together um, through partnerships. And uh, And that also was kind of around the time when APIs started to to become a way in which uh, people could more easily put together the the different pieces to to create something new and mashups and all that stuff and you know we had some Yahoo Music API so I, I just started kind of open my eyes to um, how much easier and uh, it was going to become for you know two three or even you know many more companies to kind of come together and do something interesting through kind of the rise of the APIs and it, it sort of changed my thinking about what what business development is. From kind of okay, we're gonna we're gonna build relationships and kind of uh, work on term sheets and, and contracts and and try to figure out how we're gonna divide up the money and all that stuff. To okay, the the developer is king and and they're gonna be able to kind of knock out some prototypes and see something that the combination of which the market hadn't seen before that might take off and kind of that that could actually lead uh, the direction of of you know business development or partnerships. And then from there, I, I started to get more exposed to open source, and it just really kind of completely changed my thinking about about how m multiple companies collaborate to create something that's useful 
that solves a common problem people have that creates value. And I realized open source is this kind of whole other model where in the, the old days you might have two companies negotiating a partnership to bring to market, you know, somebody who has the content, someone has the distribution, and all that sort of starts to seem sort of quaint when you think about open source. You have thousands of developers from hundreds of companies in the case of OpenStack here in 2016, you know, several years later. It just completely changes the landscape for how companies uh, collaborate um, in, in a much more direct manner, in an open manner, and it's, it's, it's to it, it requires a different mindset, a different culture, and so many companies right now, that's what they've been going through the last couple of years is what, what does it mean to be an open source company, to have an open source strategy? You know, companies like Walmart and, and eBay and, you know, Comcast, companies that maybe, you know, AT&T, these big telecoms, you wouldn't think of them traditionally as having that mindset, but they're, they're realizing that that is a competitive advantage. Uh, being more open, engaging in an open source community is a competitive advantage. Cloud is a necessity um, as a, as a, you know, a, a transformation method. So I, I guess I'm, I'm kind of uh, going down a, a trip down memory lane here, but this is kind of how, how I got to the point where I realized open source was this means to, to really accelerate innovation because the smartest people are never all at one company. And if you can get people working together, they also have a lot more fun. So if, you, if, you, if I talk to companies that are uh, wanting to get, say, have a presence at an OpenStack Summit, a lot of times the reason is they want to the market to have this perception that they're cool. It's a place developers want to want to go work. Why? Because they're they're doing things in the open. So if open source is more fun and developers gravitate to, towards it, the best the best and brightest. And if develop having great developers is strategic, therefore it kind of you know leads to the conclusion. Wow, I better learn how to embrace open source if I'm just about any company in the world these days. And so that's kind of you know OpenStack has been. Uh, a place for me to see that kind of firsthand and help try to grow that uh, that that idea, and um, I think it's it's off to a good start. Definitely, you know, you you highlighted so much of what's important in what we're doing as an industry, you know, in open source, right? It's and you you're able to merge the understanding that businesses need to be able to innovate, businesses need to be able to consume IT from themselves, from others, and and there's this neat sort of merger. And I wonder, what's your thought on, like, was it the perfect storm of activity that kind of gave rise to OpenStack amongst many other things, like the idea of the, the fact that we have more collaborative software, we have more collaborative project management? Like, what struck first? Did it, was it a chicken, an open source chicken or an open source egg? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's that's always going to be tough to prove one way or the other. But, but I think that you know, if you if you look at um, enterprises today, for example, you know, they all use open source, and you know, you have to give uh, a credible amount of credit to to Linux overall, and you know, the Red Hats of the world, and 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 Ubuntu and and SUSE and that you know helped kind of mainstream the idea that that open source and Linux was was not uh, so scary. It was actually something that, that could be a, 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 you could really rely on it for business. So that kind of you know, got that that mindset going. But I think I think sort of the the need to um, automate and sort of scale out your infrastructure was kind of a driving factor for cloud computing. You know, you have to give a huge amount of credit to Amazon 
web services for kind of open people's eyes to what was possible. And you know, you started to see inside of every company the developers that wanted to very quickly sort of iterate and experiment um, gravitate to something like Amazon where they could swipe a credit card and very easily and quickly kind of make a prototype and see see what sticks. And so, you know, it, I think the cost of experimenting um, has just gone to, to near zero. And that means you're going to discover, make new discoveries. You know, every discovery, uh, for the most part, you know, comes from experimenting. And so as the, the cost of doing that goes down, that's, that's a driver for new discoveries, new innovation. So you have kind of this, this cloud computing as a model that's unlocking software development experimentation. And then you have open source, which is an extremely uh, easy way to experiment with different, different types of software stacks. You know, in your own data center, maybe you have a few servers that you've decommissioned and now you, you, you set them up with a small OpenStack cloud. And so that having that barrier to experimentation drop to near zero just has, has, is paying these dividends that I think we're still kind of trying to wrap our head around. You know, there wouldn't be a Facebook, a Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, or any of those companies without open source. Um, and, and a lot of that's because people could, without sort of a five-year plan and, and a waterfall development model, <laughs> could, could sort of try some things out and see, and see what worked. And with, you know, everybody being connected, um, it meant you can get instant feedback from from users and see what they like and don't like. So it is. I think the perfect storm is probably the best uh, way to think about it. Is it? I don't. I don't know if you could isolate any one of these factors, but but it's pretty cool time to be alive when they're all uh, they're all happening at the same time. Yeah, that's. Uh, I always feel. Uh, I feel weird every time I go to some event every year. And it's always like I just look back over the last six months, and it's. I'm always thinking like, wow, this has been an amazing six months, and so much has happened. And we continue to be able to say that. So what I want to kind of go into now, Mark, is the idea of, you know, what what does the foundation mean to you as part of corralling, you know, and providing guidance? And I, I shouldn't say corral. This probably sounds like a, an odd phrase. But, you know, what as the role of COO and, 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 and in the foundation, you know, how do you feel that role is important to how OpenStack has evolved and, and how it continues to evolve and, and keeping that good, strong governance. Yeah, well, I think, first of all, I just feel extremely fortunate to be one of the few people that has the opportunity to kind of work on OpenStack full-time. Um, you know, there are certainly a lot of developers at, at different companies um, throughout the ecosystem and the user base that, that may work, you know, part-time or, or in some cases full-time on OpenStack. And um, which is an amazing thing, and I, I'm really happy I can I can work on it full time as well um, as part of the foundation. So I think that you know one of the things we found pretty early on was that having a foundation, having a nonprofit, um, was really important to kind of the trust factor because we have uh, you know we've always believed that a strong ecosystem with lots of companies making money around open source is is not a bad thing. In fact, it's a really great thing and it's essential to those thousands of developers that have contributed to OpenStack uh, being able to to you know have a have jobs to to do that and so uh, to build the biggest ecosystem though I think one of the things that has worked out well um, is having a nonprofit because you know that really uh, gives a sort of neutral third party where all the different uh, companies as well as individuals can um, 
can come together um, under the, the same goal, which is to, to build this um, ubiquitous cloud platform. And, you know, it's, it's allowed us to put different resources to bear. Uh, first of all, we, of course, organize our summits twice a year, and those have grown in size um, where we had you know, almost 8,000 people at our last summit in, in Austin, oh, wow. Texas. And, um, you know, we're, our next one is going to be in Barcelona in Spain on October 25th to the 28th. So, you know, there's, there's some kind of uh, specific responsibilities we have around the events. And then beyond just the summits, I think um, I really feel like the OpenStack days, I think you're, you're attending the one in Silicon Valley. I just came back a few weeks ago from, from uh, Asia, and I was in Tokyo and Bangalore and Taipei. And those communities are just incredible. You know, there were, there were over 2,000 people in the Tokyo event. Um, there, was, there was one in Beijing, first really official OpenStack Day in Beijing was in July, and they had um, uh, well over 2,000 people as well. So these, these events have grown um, in importance and in, you know, scale. So, the, you know, the, the OpenStack Foundation doesn't single-handedly, you know, write the software single-handedly put on um, the, these, these types of events. We're, we're all about kind of working with all the different volunteers in the community and, and pitching in and trying to make sure we can keep some consistency. And we're also about sort of connecting the dots between all the different constituents in the community. So for example, we're always looking for ways to build better feedback loop between the users and the developers. And that's something we've put a lot of investment in as a foundation with the uh, user survey we do twice a year where we gather data, not just about what configurations people are running, which is really interesting, but also we started to do an NPS question, which is a net promoter score. So it really uh, is, a, is a pretty standard industry quality metric. So we're actually able to ask users, you know, how happy are you with OpenStack? Would you recommend it to someone else to, to run on their infrastructure? And so we can really dig into um, those trends and, so, you know, it's kind of a, a long answer to your question, but, but really I think we uh, have a, a great opportunity um, by being a nonprofit to really help bring together different constituents and make sure that all the different voices are heard that ultimately leads to better software and, you know, more successful outcomes in terms of users having good, good success with OpenStack. And I think the, the user focus is why I've been, I've always been passionate about you know, user communities, uh, technology is great because it's it's fun and it's neat and it it's it does cool things, you know. But ultimately, with it, without a consumer of that service or system, then then there's less value overall. Which is, I love that the 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 user focus has really been strong, and especially in the most recent couple of years, I found that. You know, we've shifted away from, hey, we did this really cool thing, you know, technically, but, you know, it didn't really fit a use case. And also mm -hmm. the other thing is we've got use cases that probably don't look like a lot of folks want to support them. And I know like high availability and, you know, workload migrations, which are the quote unquote, you know, enterprise style of features. There's been challenges in the development communities around like, shouldn't you move the resiliency up the stack? But I love that, you know, again, the, the user focus meant that people listened and we've built those features and, and those capabilities in in order to answer real active use cases. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think that um, there's there's a big difference between sort of a prospective user who says, this is my wish list of 
a cloud platform and then someone who's actually been running OpenStack for two or three years who says, okay, here are the pain points I found when I set it up. Now that I've upgraded, here's where the upgrade process was harder than it should have been. And here are the features that are missing um, that would really, they're sort of standing in the way of, of more of a broader adoption or, or more success or business value within my company. And that's just like gold. I mean, that's gold mine, you know, to have, have users that are willing to step up be involved. They actually attend our summits. You know, there's also a, a mid-cycle meetup. Mid-cycle sort of happen in between summits for specifically for operators. And there's an upcoming uh, operator mid-cycle um, very very soon. I don't have the exact date handy, but um, those are really important because in addition to the mailing lists where the operators, you know, uh, share their their experiences, these these in-person events really help them kind of, you know, meet their peers at other companies, sometimes their competitors. You know, we have companies from different financial services, different automakers, uh, different financial, you know, uh, companies, different telecoms, different e-commerce kind of players that they may compete day to day, but, uh, but when it comes to, you know, the common set of problems they're trying to solve in their data center, they're very much collaborating. And a lot of that happens in that operator community and it sort, sort of trickles back uh, over time into to influencing the software and you know having a, a, a very fast release pace where we have a new version every six months means that it really doesn't take that long before some of that feedback can really um, be realized in terms of a new feature or just usability. You know, sometimes it's not about features, it's about sort of ease of use both for the operator as well as end user. That's another focus where we've really started to put more resources on this year. Um, we hired um, uh, last year, David Flanders to focus on kind of that up the stack, uh, as you would say, um, those those end users who are consuming OpenStack clouds that someone else is operating. You know, whether it's their internal IT team or public cloud or what have you, you know, using those APIs and building distributed cloud apps. We really want to try to to up our game in that area, and that involves both you know interoperability testing. We've made some strides in, as well as just improving the SDKs and the documentation. For you know anything from a sample app up to something more, more complex, and you know that's that's a something we we finally have the luxury to focus on because we've built a sizable installed base of OpenStack clouds now all over the world. Yeah, and I love that that idea of you talk about the perspective user and the wish list because how many times have we been in you know a technical room and people are like, well, you know, I would use it if it could do this, and why doesn't it have this? And there's always this kind of sort of stump the chump thing that happens where people are like, well, you know, but it do, does it do this? And they, they kind of want to be the smart one that, that was the one that would have broken your product. And like, it's a very negative view that a lot of folks as technologists, we, we do this all the time and we're, we're like the worst audience because we'll sit there and, and we'll just tear apart all these things. You realize like, no, that that's you. You've got a different view on how it's consumed. The old thing of like, never let an engineer write a UI because they don't want to use a UI the way that a customer or a true, you know, operator of the environment will use it. It's, it's very different. Yeah. And I think one of the things that's really cool and it takes a culture shift um, that, and I'm, I see this every day, kind of companies that are uh, trying to make this transition, which is, you know, if, if you're used to, to kind of being the, the big dog who writes checks and it's sort of a procurement relationship where you go to the vendors and you beat them up and you, you know, are always looking for, you know, two cents uh, lower cost and, 
if something's, you know, you, you want to have something to complain about because that's the dynamic of the relationship. And open source is just not like that, you know. You can complain, but at the end of the day, you have as much opportunity to, to actually be in charge of your own destiny as, as you know, as the vendor. Um, you know, you, you, can, you can attend the design sessions. You can go to the, the different meetups. You can come to the summits. You can participate in the mailing list. And, you know, the, one of the things people always kind of struggle with is what is the community? You always hear people say in open source, well, the community wants this or the community's mad about that. And, you know, my answer is always like, if you care about OpenStack, you are the community. Congratulations. You're, <laughs> That's now, right. you're now part of the community. All you got to do is care about it and you're, you're in, um, which might be a little uncomfortable for people that come from a background of just sort of... Uh, beating the table and saying, you know, give me what I want, but um, but that's it's a very empowering thing, and people I think uh, have a little more fun in their careers when they realize they can actually influence the the solution, and 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 it's the thing that I think is important for like the the people higher up in those organizations, um, the senior management are, are realizing is software development is strategic to basically every business on the planet now. That was not the case ten years ago. I mean, it, it was just, it might have been uh, IT was just a cost center, and they were there to constantly nag you to upgrade your Windows laptop so you wouldn't get, you know, get owned. <laughs> that, was, that was pretty much, you know, a thankless job, and the reality is infrastructure that's used as part of developing software, which is all moving to sort of cloud-based and continuous integration, continuous delivery kind of models. You know, that's that's strategic. Um, it, it's, it's how values delivered, your company's... Um, fortunes are going to be won or lost on how, how you're able to recruit, how productive your, de your developers are. I mean, if you think, you know, 20 years ago, I mean, can you imagine a bank um, actually having to care about user user interfaces and, and mobile apps, and it was just, it had nothing to do with, with whether they succeeded or not. It was all about the teller and the person you walked in and, That's right. and sat down with, and these days, you know, um, I wouldn't use a bank that didn't have a, at least a half-decent mobile app, so so it's a just different different uh, economy now, and I think that's uh, open source. I think we talked about this a little bit before, but open source really lends itself to that kind of quick iteration um, and getting customer feedback, and especially with continuous delivery, you, know, you can roll out a new feature um, in in hours instead of weeks. Um, and it just changes the whole uh, kind of velocity of a uh, of the marketplace. And I, what I always love to do is kind of coach people to that those early steps because it's it's challenging to get them to first embrace the mindset and then get the tooling and the processes around you know doing that the, that early adoption and we always talk about you know CICD and 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 it's tough because the the selling point like the big success stories are like we went from weeks to days to hours to you know we do and you 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 go you listen to Gene Kim talk and you're like man I'm so I'm impressed like Netflix is doing twelve thousand commits a day like it, you you get these crazy numbers get thrown around and then some some poor team that's sitting there going well I've got a project that's been running for eleven months and they've had three you know releases mm -hmm. and it's hard sometimes to sell the concept of CI/CD and and higher velocity of deployment but you, then I always couch it as like you don't need to do 12 a day. You can do one a week. You've done one every three months right now. Like that's huge. That's a massive increase in velocity. And and these platforms enable them to do that. It doesn't necessarily have to be like 
Netflix or LinkedIn or eBay or whatever, but those folks have walked the path for us to prove that it works. And I think that's, again, that focus that you and the foundation and the team have done really well to bring the right voices to these summits, to the meetups, to, and these are active, passionate people who've lived it. And they've, they're not telling you about the wish list and what they want to invest in down the road. They're saying, look, we've done this for the past 18 months and this is how it went. And that's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, we, we have really tried to put the focus on a lot of the, the summit keynotes, for example, on having users talk about um, kind of their, their journey and the results they've, they've, you know, they've achieved. And, and the next phase of that really is, is starting to encourage them to share more uh, reference architectures, more of that recipe of, of all the pieces that are beyond OpenStack that are part of their OpenStack cloud. Um, and, you know, I think we talked before a little bit about um, Kubernetes and, and, you know, Docker and the different kind of container trends that are going on right now. And, you know, there's no reason why OpenStack uh, users shouldn't take advantage of those, and a lot of them already are. Uh, we've actually had a number of case studies we've published on our website uh, with with users, and some of them spoke at the, the OpenStack Summit in Austin, like uh, Kobe Holzer from LivePerson. They're one of the largest companies in the world at online chat for customer service, if you're ever on you know any major uh, major company's website, and there's a box that says you know click here to chat with a customer service rep. It's probably powered by Live Person, and then we right. had um, you know Time Warner, um, Time Warner Cable talk about what they're doing. And th the funny thing is, uh, you know, both of them are using Kubernetes with OpenStack, and I was actually on the Time Warner Cable website the other day because I I'm a Time Warner Cable customer and I needed support. And I, I clicked on the link, and it was powered by Live Person. So I didn't even realize when we put those people back to back that they already work together <laughs> out in the out in the market. But um, you know, they're they're both examples of people that are uh, trying to make it uh, easier for their application developers to roll out, upgrade, and manage distributed applications on OpenStack using Kubernetes. And then there's there's kind of another interesting model that's flipped it on its head where you can manage OpenStack services, which you can think of as really microservices themselves. You can think of OpenStack as an application, an infrastructure application, obviously. Um, and you know that can be containerized, and some of the lifecycle management and the, the benefits of things like Kubernetes can be used to deploy and manage your OpenStack deployment itself. So it can be under OpenStack, so to speak, and on top. And you know, those are those are very different ways to take advantage of that that interesting technology. But Kubernetes, I think, has really gotten a lot of traction in a hurry. You know, Google obviously knows about scale, and they've got some great engineers. And and now it's beyond Google. You know, CoreOS and other companies are investing in that and and thinking about how they can combine and get the most out of that plus OpenStack. So those are those are some trends that I think are really positive for users. And I think so. Jonathan Bryce, you know, at the OpenStack days in Silicon Valley, mentioned a, a bunch of great, powerful things on stage. And one of them was we have to we're shifting away from versus to and, and that is mm -hmm. you know, Kubernetes is a perfect story of that. You know, you run OpenStack, you know, Kubernetes on OpenStack, because your primary consumption interface is Kubernetes. That's that's where it makes sense. Let the let the IaaS be the under under layers and and do what they need to do. Kubernetes is your consumption layer. 
or the reverse, <laughs> run OpenStack because that's your consumption layer. Run it on top of Kubernetes, let it spread wherever. And it, it was neat. We've kind of got this like Kubernetes OpenStack club sandwich thing going on where we don't know which <laughs> one's the, the top and the bottom, but it's an and story. And that's that's powerful. Containers, same thing where people thought like, oh, well, do containers unseat the need for infrastructure as a service? Like, no, they're a, an and story. They're a, a, an, another piece of the portfolio. You're not going to run yeah. everything on on containers. Run them side by side. Run them in each other, on top of each other. It's there's no yeah. reason we can truly have our wide selection of a menu. Yeah, it's, it's right. And there's there's that early stage with every new technology where people are like, well, I hear this thing is incredible. It must therefore replace X, Y, and Z that we already have. And you know that would maybe that's a nice dream, but it never actually works that way. You know, it's 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 typically additive and. You know, open source uh, should be about you know putting together the best of breed um, projects, and I think you know the fact that like the Apache license has really become kind of the de facto. You know, open source licensing you know probably can get a little bit boring for people, but I spent quite a bit of time getting up that learning curve when we were you know just starting out thinking about doing open source at Rackspace and, and led that to to OpenStack and. And we we picked the Apache 2.0 license, but it's just it really matters because it's a very open, permissive license for people to do things commercially, non-commercially, kind of you know take take the code and do with it what they will. And um, you know I think you you see that with most of the new projects that have come out in the past few years, especially you know around the cloud space, tend to be Apache license. I think that makes it easier for for everybody to play together without having to spend all day uh, you know, with lawyers and racking up bills worrying about that stuff. That's right. I think that's the real reason why people think that we need to replace one thing with the next thing because they think that we're going to have to license you know, the word bimodal from Gartner if we run two technologies at the <laughs> same time. But I, I try and think of it as technology is like octomodal. We've, we've got paper still. We've got all like we've, – we've always had multiple tiers of adoption of technology. It's, it's just funny that, that we've – We've given it a term now, so everybody kind of cringes when they when they hear that. I want to yeah. I want to take another you know a three line slide or three slides that came up in Jonathan's presentation at the Silicon Valley event. You were quoted in one of them, and it's uh -oh. in the one two three is you know one innovate, two collaborate, and you were quoted as you know collaborate or die. That's 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 where it it, it lives. And then also number three, make success easier to duplicate. This is an incredible part of the power of community that I think OpenStack has, despite what anybody would think is it hasn't done it in some small areas, as a whole has done it well. Yeah, making success easier to duplicate. Where we've you've got a six month release cycle, you've got summits that you produce, you've got a collaborative development environment, you know, all these things. You know, Mark, how do how do people think in this sense? Like, and, and where does innovate, collaborate, and you know, duplicate successes? How where do, can we apply that in other parts in technology? Yeah, well, I think that um, you know the the duplicate uh, successes is one of the ones that uh, that's really really important for us to to focus on um, because. Uh, 
the fact is that, of course, with any technology and any model like cloud computing, there have been failed uh, attempts at, at deploying OpenStack over the years of various companies. And you know, when when one of when something like that happens, it's real it's real tempting for people, especially in the age of Twitter and kind of uh, hot takes and everything else. Say, oh well, OpenStack, you know, has got X Y Z kind of deficiency and you know, the reality is cloud is, is an operational um, model. You are operating a cloud. It is, it is very difficult and requires a lot of knowledge and processes and skills. And uh, the technology isn't, isn't going to remove that. It's not going to uh, necessarily be the, the weak link. If you have um, a, a cloud that project that doesn't, that doesn't succeed, there are many different uh, reasons why that can happen. And so what, what we try to do is, is find the people that have had great success, you know, the Walmarts of the world, uh, you know, China Telecom. There's, there's a lot of very large companies, uh, AT&T, that are running, you know, clouds in uh, 50, 60 data centers that are, that are really um, having a lot of success. And, and the question is, okay, we need to know more than just what version of OpenStack are you using or which distro are you using. Um, to duplicate that success, it goes a lot deeper into the cultural changes, who you're hiring, how you're organized, um, what are the other tools in your toolbox beyond OpenStack that make it work so well. So that's just you know why I think that the duplicate success um, is something we're going to be talking more about, and we need to come up with some sort of structured format for sharing that data, so that you know people are not just sharing source code, but they're they're sharing their playbook, if you will. Around how they're, they've been successful, and we have you know Superuser uh, is an OpenStack publication online, and we do a print edition every every summit, uh, the last few summits, and so we have different ways and formats we can do case studies and stuff. But I think there's there's more to be done there in terms of reference architectures and getting into the nitty gritty of how people have been successful. And I think that that's uh, again it goes that does go beyond OpenStack to kind of a whole. Um, model of how you operate a cloud. Um, and I, don't, I don't know if that gets gets exactly at your question, or if uh, you have any follow up. No, I think that's that's good. You know, it, it's and measurement of success is one of the most dangerous metrics that we have in in the industry. Like you said, all it takes is for you know, like I I was running OpenStack for you know thirty days, and then one of the services just hung for no good reason. You know, do you call that a failure? You know, I couldn't install it. It took me four days to install it. Okay, you know, let's let's figure out what we were trying to achieve. Or you built it, people didn't consume services by it. What do we call mm -hmm. successes, right? And, and like you said, I, I I sort of poke at the the folks at the register. I've got a lot of good friends that work there. But you know, I, I say you guys are like TMZ. You're just waiting outside of of data centers for someone to come out sweating and smoking, going, "Man, you know that my whatever gear just just went up in smoke on me." And then you can race to the presses to say, like, "Oh, oh, you know, Walmart reporting, Cisco failure," and like, <laughs> whatever the the names are. And I think yeah. Open Nebula. And was one where it was neat because, you know, as a platform, it was interesting. But then, of course, Nebula, the company, you know, suffered. Unfortunately, you know, burn rates were too high. And, and as a business, they weren't able to, to succeed. And that was one of those mm -hmm. interesting points where people said, ah, well, clearly this, this marks the death of OpenStack 
And you're like, and I immediately jumped out there and said, this is no more a mark of the end of OpenStack than anything else, you know, that failed to adopt Windows, meaning that Microsoft is circling the drain. It's it, it's a, running a business, running a platform and a product and a software organization are very different things. And it's always tough, you know, that's, I like that also you, you've got a, the financial view of it. How do you, so how do you keep, you know, a financial mindset <laughs> around running a foundation too? That must be a challenge into itself, just keeping things alive, getting money back into the ecosystem. That, that's got to be a whole different juggling act. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, uh, we've been fortunate in that the financial side of it has been, you know, pretty solid from, from early on, and it's actually grown, honestly, faster than we expected. Um, we, we kind of thought that we'd end up with a, a pretty a tiny skeleton crew at the foundation. It's still, you know, not gigantic, but we're, you know, over 20 people now um, distributed all over the world. And you know, I think part of why uh, we've been able to kind of manage it a little differently is most of us really come from you know, for-profit world. I'm a uh, I'm a capitalist at heart, so um, you know we we're always keeping an eye on on the books and making sure that we're we're healthy financially because you know the the foundation needs ha, plays a very important role in the continued long-term success of OpenStack. So um, you know just just making sure that we understand how to align all the different different interests uh, as the summit continues to grow. You know those are very expensive to put on. But we've had we've had a lot of interest from from sponsors that really offset the majority of that cost, and you know not not having to answer to shareholders I guess means that uh, you know there's not pressure on us to to necessarily go out and make tons of money. It's really about kind of uh, sustaining and growing OpenStack and the the uh, the adoption of OpenStack and supporting the community. So that's that allows us to run a, a pretty uh, conservative ship, and you know we're not trying to go raise raise money or have an IPO or anything that that might happen in the the private uh, stock ba uh, stockholder uh, world. Uh, you know we we have no stock because we're we're a Delaware non-stock nonprofit. So we just focus on our mission, and you know we've we've been able to hire people that have uh, great backgrounds, really strong backgrounds in in their areas of expertise, who just really believe in the mission. And love the opportunity to be able to work on it full time at the foundation. So it's been it's been awesome building out the team. That's probably the thing I'm most proud of um, at the foundation is the team we've we've assembled. Um, just really really great rock stars in you know, marketing, events, um, you know, infra infrastructure development. We've got you know people that that play vital roles in making sure OpenStack is a growing healthy community and that the software continues to improve and. You know, it's pretty, it's pretty awesome to be able to be part of that. Amen to that. Uh, and I'm going to touch on one last thing before we go, which is, you know, we, we hear the phrase often, think globally, act locally. You have a very different challenge in front of you. You have to think globally and act globally. We have a, <laughs> a, we have a weird sort of North American arrogance. I'm proud to say as a North American, I, I contribute to it all the time, right? This idea that Everything should be in English. <laughs> it, we should all sound like news people, even if you speak with a Boston accent. We poke fun at you. Like there's there's all this weird thing that we we want this very traditional North American Eastern time zone, you know, thing to exist. 
but we have a huge audience. I always, I don't even like saying pets versus cattle, other than the fact that, you know, there's all sorts of weirdness around the phrasing. But like, if you go to significant parts of the world where billions of people exist, they treat their cattle better than their pets. <laughs> like, <laughs> be, be careful about what phrasing you use. So Mark, you know, you talked about going, you know, uh, Asia Pacific, you know, and I know there's been a lot of questions around why, you know, how do we represent for, you know, South Asian regions and whatnot? How do you do that? How do you manage a worldwide contributorship and, and yeah. keep that, that global focus? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a big challenge. I mean, we, we now have um, employees and um, the, the two employees in the Asia Pacific region and, and, and in turn, we just, we just hired. Um, so we've got an employee in Taiwan and an employee in Australia. And um, and we just we just added another intern um, in in Taiwan. So no, we can't obviously have uh, feet on the on the ground or boots on the ground, if you will, in every region in the world uh, because we're we're never going to be that big of an organization. But we do as much as we can to connect with the local leaders, and you know the community is as strong as as they are. And we're very fortunate that in many of these different uh, examples we've talked about, there have been some natural leaders that have emerged, you know, in Japan, that Japan OpenStack user group has some incredible leaders that just, they, they, have, they have nothing but um, integrity and love for the project and they bring together uh, resources and put on these, these OpenStack days that are now spanning, you know, two days now, uh, once a year. So what we do is try to support those local leaders. We actually have an ambassador program now too. So we have an ambassador, for example, in China, who, who's really uh, Ye, Ye Lu, who's very involved in making sure that uh, everything that's going on in, in the in, throughout that massive country is is for the for the good of OpenStack and all the activities there. And so, you know, for us as a as a foundation, you know, we're not going to ever be um, fully staffed in, in all these countries. We're going to just have strong relationships where we support the local leaders. And we try to go as much as we can. I mean, I've, I've been to the OpenStack Day in Japan, I think, five years in a row. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a short period of time, but just getting there and meeting the users, finding out what's, what's similar and what's different about what they need from other users, that's what kind of keeps us all together. And if you, if you look coll uh, collectively at all these OpenStack Days throughout the year, that, that's reaching an audience that's actually bigger than the summits. Um, collectively, because it's, there's 30 OpenStack days this year all over the world. So being part of those events, getting to know those local leaders, providing them with resources when, when they need it, and just you know advice if there's any uh, flare-ups or kerfluffles in the community where there's tensions on, on different issues, that's that's what we can do, and that's that's what we focus on, and um, so far so good. That's and definitely I, I love that you. But something that people need to see is that it does it goes beyond the single you know you already have two summits a year which is more than any other single you know vendor <laughs> provides and then all these additional and then there's the small you know little mini meetups that occur that are you know locally grown more artisanal perhaps <laughs> smaller groups there's lots of working groups lots of technical groups there, there really is a it's just a great audience and I'm proud to be try and do what I can to contribute, which never feels like it's enough. But, you know, everything I, I can do, I push my company as well, you know, to try and do as much as we can. And, and it's it's been great to be able to host some of these events and such. So, well, Mark, it's, yeah, well, it's I, definitely... I appreciate all your, your effort. And I'm glad you're 
putting on this podcast and, and everything else you're doing to, to get the word out there. Thank you. Yeah, it's it, it's neat because, you know, w- the velocity has continued to increase. Uh, you know, as the if I were if I was a stock man, I'd say I'm long open stack and people have doubted me for for a while and I just keep waiting and then like everyone's while they're like, "Hey, it seems to be you might have been right about this." I'm like, "Yes, yes. <laughs> Thank you." <laughs> it, it's it's been great to watch it evolve and, and grow. And, and again, you know, being at the at the Silicon Valley event, watching the the conversations shift to, and I think the one thing Jonathan mentioned was about the idea that we're talking about, you know, moving further up the stack in the sense of thinking about resiliency and optimization and all these things. He says that's like a mark of maturity that we trust what's already occurred, like the underlying layers, the core of it, it's there. It, it will continue to evolve and mature, but it's it, it's great to watch it and, and now reach this point where we can say, you know, there's you cannot doubt the story anymore. There are active customer use cases that that tell a very different story. If anybody were to say, OpenStack hasn't hit yet, I'm like, well, you must be living under a rock. <laughs> yeah, there's there's definitely some some echo chambers that you know get a certain idea and and. It may or may not always be positive for OpenStack, but uh, we try to not pay too much attention to that and, and focus on the users we know are using it. And if they have pain points, then we try to help fix that and, and just kind of ignore some of the noise. Yep, and it's it's definitely it's it's going well. So again, thanks, Mark, for taking the time out to chat with us. And if you thanks. just want to remind folks again how they can find you online. Yeah, so it's uh, at Sparky Collier on Twitter. Uh, that's probably the easiest place to find me. And uh, hopefully uh, I'll get a chance to catch up with you in Barcelona. Fingers crossed if I can get a talk accepted. You know, uh, it's always fun to be able to contribute content to the community. And uh, and it's going to be a great event over there. And if, yeah. if people always said, like, wouldn't it be great to go to Barcelona? I'm like... The funny thing is, I'm I'm more I would just love the technology <laughs> and the people. You know, the place is cool, but you know what happens inside the arena is way more fun than what happens outside. Cool. Hope to see you there. If you like what you heard here and want to hear much more, don't forget to subscribe to the GC On Demand podcast. You can go to gcondemand.io where you'll find the links in order to catch us in iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, and more. Go to gcondemand.io. Don't forget to rate us in your podcaster of choice and look for much, much more. Have a show idea? Tweet us at GCOnDemand. Thanks for listening.